Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. I've given a lot of thought to the subject before us this morning. And the reason why is because I consider it to be my very life's work, a very part of the purpose that I live, the purpose that I get up for each morning, each day, is to help each of you to become the most effective servant of Jesus Christ that you can be. That is what I live for. And so the question before us is this, what makes the difference in Christians? Let me ask it another way. Why do some Christians continue to grow and be used by God and others just sit on the bench most of their life until the Lord finally takes them home? Would you join me this morning in Philippians chapter 2 where we look to answer this question? And while you turn, let me tell you about two different men. First, let's jump back in time, way back to 1983, when a fire broke out on an Air Canada flight from Dallas to Toronto. And the pilot of the plane, he had to begin a sudden dramatic descent down to get down to a lower level, knowing that he had just a few minutes to land the plane if anyone was going to be able to survive. But here's what happened, look at that picture. As soon as they opened the door for the rescue, the whole aircraft, it sucked in the oxygen all at once and just turned into a big inferno. And there were some people who died on this flight and there were some people who suffered, as you can imagine by looking at that picture, some horrible burns. But because of his skill and the commitment of the crew, many of the people were rescued and lived to tell about it. The captain was the last one to leave the burning airplane. He was pulled through the window with his uniform still on fire. The pilot would later be honored at a tearful ceremony where he received a commendation because he had stood in the fire and done his duty. But then let me take you to Seoul, South Korea, in April of 2014, a little more recent, where a ferry capsized, killing well over 100 people. And most of the passengers were high school students who had drowned while waiting for instructions to abandon ship. And the captain himself had fled like a coward. He fled the sinking ship and made sure he was safe. He made sure he made it to safe ground, dry ground. And this brought the condemnation of an entire nation and from the loved ones of those who were lost. The teacher who had organized the trip, he actually took his own life, feeling he had no right to be alive while most of his students perished. Even the prime minister of South Korea offered to resign because of the tragedy. There was no celebration here, no commendation of a brave man. Just one wrong decision after another that ended up with a man who put himself first and failed to live up to his responsibility. I bring this up because it bothers us when we see others fail to live up to the duty that is set before them. 
But do you recognize as a Christian, do you recognize believer in Jesus Christ that God has called you to a greater purpose than yourself? It is to live a life based on the love of Christ pouring through us, recognizing that as a believer in Christ, that we have been bought with a price, that our responsibility in Christ rises higher than ourselves. Let's take a look to our text, starting in verse 19 of Philippians 2, where it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So what is Paul doing at this point? Well, Paul's just basically making travel plans. Paul is saying, I hope in the Lord. I trust in the Lord to be able to send Timothy to you. You see, for the Apostle Paul, even travel plans, even travel plans can be centered on the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ. I hope you've read enough of Paul's words to let him bother you. Paul had a passion for Christ, always focused on Jesus Christ. Paul stood for Christ when few others would. And we see that some of the same men always stood with him. That's what you see in the Bible. It's some of the same people over and over and over again, always standing with Paul. And Timothy was certainly one of those men. The name Timothy means one who honors God. Now, Timothy, he would go to Philippi. Timothy had been, you remember, with Paul on the second missionary journey when the church at Philippi was first started. And for Timothy to go to Philippi, and then for Timothy to come back all the way to Rome again, that meant several, several weeks of travel. I don't think Timothy was the kind of guy that had to be told to go. I think Timothy wanted to go because he cared about God's people. You see, Timothy was a selfless man who couldn't stop thinking about the needs of others. And when you first read verse 20, it seems harsh. It seems strong when Paul says here, for I have no one like-minded. But the idea is more like this. It says, I have no one else like him, or more literally, no one of equal soul. That's beautiful, isn't it? No one of equal soul. It's a testimony to the character of Timothy. Paul is saying, hey, you're going to be in good hands. I've served Christ side by side with this man, Timothy, for over a decade. I trust him. Paul is telling the church, I'm looking around at the other men with me in Rome, and no one is more qualified to take care of your spiritual needs than Timothy. Paul mentions Timothy quite a few times, 24 times actually in his letters. Paul counted on Timothy. Ask yourself this question this morning. Do you live your life in a way that you are one of the people that can be counted on when it comes down to the matters of faith? When a hurting soul comes into your life, will you stop and make the time for them? Is your focus on growing in the grace of God so that you can become a more effective witness for Christ? Is your focus on growing so that you can teach others 
Husbands and fathers, it's on you to learn so that you can guide your family. They are your first ministry. And then your second ministry should be the local church because you cannot even teach your family to follow after Jesus Christ if you're not teaching them to be a servant of others. Paul further explained in verse 21, for they all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. This is Paul's statement about the Christians in Rome. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. We know that by this time in church history, there was hundreds of Christians in Rome. Hundreds of Christians in Rome. But it came down to Timothy to make the trip. No one cares because we like to fill our time with other things. But Timothy was different. Timothy was not selfish. He was a giver, not a taker. He gave his life to the work of the gospel of Christ. You see, most people start with this mindset. Protect yourself. Get what you need. And then if you happen to have any time left over, then go ahead and help others. But there are a few in every church who have learned to rise above this, to rise above, to live for Christ. And Timothy was one such man. Timothy had proved himself on the mission field. Lord, please send us more men like Timothy in this church. And better yet, Lord, make us more, each of us more like young Timothy. Let your mind, Christ, grow in us. Let's move further in the text. We'll start with verse 22. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Timothy had served as a son with his father in the gospel of Christ. You know, when I take my kids out into the mountains hiking, and when we run low on, on water, if I ask Micah or if I ask Hannah to, to go over to the stream and filter out some more water for us to drink, they're very glad to do it because they want to be there. They want to be a part of what we're doing. They want to help out because they genuinely care about what we're doing as a family. And in the ancient world, a son would serve with his father to learn the family trade. And this is what Paul is saying about Timothy. Timothy wanted to be there. Timothy wanted to serve like a son who likes to be with his father because he respected the spiritual authority of Paul. Paul was his spiritual father. And he wanted to help Paul any way that he could. You know, we don't need more servants in this church or in any church doing things out of guilt or because they want to be the center of attention. We need heart changes. We need heart changes. People who genuinely want to get up in the morning and be here to do whatever it takes to work for Christ with humility. Not with the attitude that says, I'm better than you. We serve with the attitude that says, it's a privilege to serve you. And I'm glad to do all that I can do to help. You remember that Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I love salt and I love butter as well. I love butter. Butter makes horrible things taste good, doesn't it? It really does. When you put a lot of butter 
and a lot of salt, and this is just what I've heard, nothing from experience here, but when you put a lot of salt and a lot of butter on your popcorn, or if you put it on your corn on the cob, and when you bite into that corn, and you got the juice and you got the butter just dripping down your chin because you're a slob, I call it corn on the slob is what I call it, you don't sit there and say to yourself, hey, that salt, that salt is great. Why? Because the job of the salt is not to make you think how great the salt is, is it? It's to make you think how great the food is. And this changes everything in the Christian walk. Because if you and I, as Christians, are going to be the salt, then we don't come to church thinking about ourselves. We come here to church thinking about how we can help one another in the body of Christ live up to all that Christ wants them to be. Same is true in our families, isn't it? When we learn to be the salt in our families, we learn to live for each other and our families feel blessed to be together. Salt makes our relationships better because that's what salt does. Imagine the difference. Imagine the kind of impact we could have for Jesus Christ if we learned to serve people with that type of attitude. If we served with humility, like a son helping his father like Timothy. Now, Epaphroditus would leave right away to the church at Philippi with this letter, but Paul would send young Timothy after he learned the outcome of his trial. That's verse 23. And in verse 24, Paul says, I'm hoping that if the Lord allows it, I'll be there myself in the Lord, meaning if the Lord is willing. Now, just in case the example of Timothy is not enough for us, we have the example of another man. We have Epaphroditus, and this is a man whose character earned him a lot of respect. Let's take a look. Verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. I love the little story of the little girl who kept a daily notebook, and one day her dad noticed that she had drawn a picture of him in her notebook. And underneath it, she carefully had printed his name and then printed his address on it. And when he asked her why, she told him that she'd been watching a movie about amnesia. And she said, if I ever forget who I am, I want everybody to know who I belong to. That makes it simple for us in the Christian faith, doesn't it? As Christians, we want everyone to know that we belong to our Father in heaven. And the best way to do this, the best way I can see in Scripture to do this, is to live for Jesus Christ. It is to live for Christ. And that's the way Epaphroditus lived. That long Greek name, that long Greek name, probably longer than my name, it simply means lovely are devoted to love. You could call him Mr. Lovely if you want. That's fine. And he lived a life of love. We can too. These verses show us how to do it. Because just like Timothy, Epaphroditus was a real servant of God, like a brother to Paul, a fellow worker, fellow soldier, working and fighting for the gospel and the glory of Christ. Now, this phrase, fellow soldier here in the text, it was used in an army when a soldier had fought with honor alongside of another person. Paul is saying, this man has fought for Jesus Christ. This man has stood firm for Christ. And we get a glimpse of his life here in verse 25. 
Now remember that Paul was in trouble when he wrote this letter. He was under arrest in Rome, on trial in his life, and chained between two Roman soldiers. And when the Philippian church found out about Paul's trouble, they realized he needed some help. So they gave what they could, and Epaphroditus said, hey, I'll take it to them. It may be a long and hard, dangerous trip, but I'll take it to them. Put me where you need me. But more than that, this man was special to the believers at Philippi. He was their messenger, their representative sent to help Paul, and it ministered to him. Meaning here that this servant-type attitude, it was an act of worship. That's what the text is literally saying here in the Word of God. This was an act of worship, meaning that Epaphroditus served the Lord by serving others. And really, that is why we serve, because we serve everything we do in our lives. We serve unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God wants us to do the things we do. He wants us to serve him by serving others. And don't we read over in 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a what? A liar. For who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You see, if you hate other Christians in your life, that is not of God. We demonstrate our love for God by the way that we come and minister and serve to one another. Worship of God is not just about the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. Worship of God is about how we live, loving and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ every day of the week. Because when we serve people, we serve the Lord. And we can take it a step further. Learn to be more concerned about how others feel than yourself. Paul tells the church in verse 26, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you. He says, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost what? Unto death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, be careful and read verse 26 very carefully because Epaphroditus was distressed, not because he was sick, but what does it say in the text? Why? Because they had heard he was sick. In other words, let's say it like this. He was more concerned about them hearing that he was sick than he was about himself and actually being sick. He was thinking of others within the church. You see, learn as a Christian to forfeit your own comfort for the sake of others. Give up some of your rights as a Christian. That's what Epaphroditus did. He almost died, but still, still his concern was for others. Have you ever heard of the Parabellini? Not from the movies. The movies distort everything. They, they made a movie about the Parabellinis, and they, they actually distorted them quite a bit. But from church history... In the early church, these were men and women who decided to risk their own lives themselves. And they, they formed a group and agreed to move into any place of danger or risk to serve and help others. In other words, whenever someone was sick with a dangerous disease back in that day, they would go in and minister to that person. And when they learned of men who were in the dungeons, they would risk their lives to help them. Then around 250 A.D., when the city of Carthage in North Africa had the plague sweep through the city, killing off much of the population, bodies were left dying all over the streets. Bodies were everywhere because on a 
honestly, there's the plague. Who wants to go in and pick it up? I don't want to sign up for that duty. No one wanted to risk their own life to bury these bodies. And so the bodies were just left out to rot and decay. And the plague just continued to spread. But tradition tells us it was the Parabellini that risked their lives to bury the bodies and save the city. And the plague, it finally ended because these people were willing to risk their lives. And see, Paul is actually telling us here in Philippians 2 that this is how Epaphroditus was living, risking his life almost sick unto death, and all the time his concern was for the Christians. Because I want you to notice something down in verse 30. When Paul said that he did not regard his life, the Greek word is parabolumai. Parabolumai. It means to risk your life. Epaphroditus risked his life to help Paul. And in verse 27, he tells us he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. Epaphroditus was so sick at this point, we see in the text that Paul considered it to be a direct intervention by God that he had gotten better. Implied in the text is the very idea that if God had not directly intervened, Epaphroditus would have died because things were going downhill. Things were getting worse and worse and worse, not better. And this spared Paul, he says, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Why? Because Paul was in a tough spot, and there were very few men that he could count on in Rome, and the death of Epaphroditus would have been difficult. And verse 30 tells us that it was for the work of Christ that Epaphroditus had come close to death. Now, this is an interesting guy in Scripture because we have no record of him ever preaching a sermon, no, no record of some big fancy public ministry. We have no record that he held some big position in a church. But he did do this. He carried the message and the gift from the church to Paul and back again. See, this was the kind of guy that no task was too small, no assignment was too little for him to accept, and no risk was too great for him to take. Two times in this text, we are told that this man risked his life to minister to Paul. But I want you to notice that Paul, the mighty apostle, Paul did not consider that even he had the right to demand physical healing for Epaphroditus. Paul didn't even consider that. Paul recognized it as what? What does he call it? The simple mercy of God. And this is a huge principle that you need to take home and apply to your own life and those around you today. Believers do not have the right to perfect health. Believers do not have the right to perfect health. And so if God gives it to you, see it as it is, the mercy of God, because that's what it is. And then we read starting in verse 28. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus was willing to sacrifice his life, his own life, to serve Paul. Paul was on trial for his life. Epaphroditus could have easily been arrested for just being with Paul. He could have dropped off the money with Paul from Philippi and just ran, take off and ran. But he didn't. He stayed on. He stayed there in Rome to minister with Paul. Meaning this, be willing to give up your own comfort to help with the work of Christ. 
But with this same sacrificial love, Paul wanted to send him back to Philippi just as quick as he could for the sake of the body of Christ, for the sake of the church, because they cared so much about this man. And this would ease Paul's sorrow knowing that they were worried about him. And then look at verse 29 again. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Value men like this that serve. A man that was engaged in the work of Christ and willing to risk his own life to accomplish it. Epaphroditus was a hero of the faith. He risked his life to serve Jesus Christ. So just look at his life in Scripture and let it inspire you and let his life show you that this bond we have together in Christ, in the family of God, in this church, it should be an encouragement to you. It should bring joy living with God and living with his people. In L.A., an older man, Glenn Wolf, died at age 88. Now, no one came to claim his body, and the city paid to have him buried in an unmarked grave. Sad, tragic, but not that unusual. It happens all the time in some of these bigger cities. But Glenn's situation was a little unique for another reason, because this was no ordinary man. He held a world record. The Guinness Book listed him as the most married man with 29 29 marriages to his credit. That means, stop and think about this with me, 29 times he was asked, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, forsaking all others? Do you pledge yourself only to her so long as you both shall live? And 29 times, (laughs) Glenn said, I do. But it never worked out that way. This man, he died leaving behind children grandchildren, great-grandchildren, a number of living ex-wives, I mean a whole host of them, and a whole bunch of former in-laws. I wouldn't want to see Thanksgiving at his house. But still, this man died alone. Here was a man who spent his entire adult life looking for something that he never, ever found, and he died alone. Now, he's an extreme example of how people spend their lives Drifting in and out of marriages and in and out of relationships only to find themselves isolated and alone. But in Timothy and in Epaphroditus, we see men who understand that, listen, our primary purpose is to love God, to walk in fellowship with God, to live for him. Let that come first. Find your peace there. Find your meaning and identification as a person, as a Christian there in Jesus Christ. And if that is not your focus, and if that is not your priority in your life, if that is not the first and most important relationship in your life, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to be frustrated. And just like Glenn Wolf, you will end up isolated and alone. Because our success in loving others is a direct reflection of our ability to put our love for Christ first. Let's say it like this. What makes the difference? See, God is looking to use the man that puts him first. He's looking to use the man who cares about the body of Christ. The husband and the father that leads his family in Christ first, and then he leads them in the church The man who cares and stands up and says, I care about the work of Christ. The man who stands up and says, I care about the saints of Christ. Because when your relationship 
is right with God, then and only then can your relationship be right with others. See, I believe with all my heart, God is still working today. He's calling out a people for himself all around the world for his glory. And he wants us as Christians to be a part of it. But it starts with getting our eyes off of ourselves. You know, in the life of Timothy, we see that God is looking to use people of proven character. Timothy had served with Paul like a son with a father in the gospel ministry. Timothy had humbled himself and learned from Paul like a father learns from a son. God uses men and women of proven character. You may be more talented, more educated, more gifted than anyone here, and good for you. But unless you have learned in your own life when it is no one but just you and God behind closed doors to take up the character of Christ in your life, one day everything you do is going to come crashing down. God uses men and women of proven character. And God uses men with a sacrificial heart for others because they've already learned to live for Jesus Christ. So now they are in a position to live for others. And that's what we see in the life of Epaphroditus. God honors men like this. Men that have learned to die to self and live for him. So this morning, if I had to sum up the character of these two heroes of the faith, I would say that this type of man, he sees only one thing. He cares for only one thing. He lives for one thing. And that one thing is to please God. And whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he's rich or whether he's poor, whether he pleases men or whether he gives offense, whether he's thought of as wise or whether he's thought of as foolish, whether he gets honored or whether he gets shame, for all of this, this man cares nothing at all because his life burns for one thing. And that one thing is to please God and to advance his glory. And this, friends, makes all the difference. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.